Due to the themes of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. Lock your doors. Close the blinds. Change your passwords. This is Secrets and Spies. Secrets and Spies is a podcast that dives into the world of espionage, terrorism, geopolitics, and intrigue. This episode is presented by Matt Fulton and produced by Chris Carr. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Secrets and Spies. On today's episode, I'm excited to welcome Kashif Hussein. If you're an avid reader of the spy genre, you may already be familiar with his work. If not, Kashif is a prolific reviewer for the blog BestThrillerBooks.com where he's covered hundreds of spy novels from all the famous authors you know, and likely some you don't know yet. I've wanted to have Kashif on the podcast for a while. As a writer in the genre, I find his perspective as a voracious reader really fascinating and valuable. We had a loose, winding chat about different trends and audience tastes in the genre, what excites him when reading a new novel, and issues around artificial intelligence in publishing. I enjoyed this conversation a lot, and I hope you will too. As always, a couple house cleaning items first. I want to thank all of our listeners who are currently supporting us on Patreon. If you're not currently supporting the show on Patreon, please consider doing so. It's super easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash secrets and spies. Depending on the subscription level you choose, you'll receive a set of secrets and spies coasters or a coffee cup. By subscribing, you'll be directly supporting this podcast, and thus we shall remain forever in your debt. Your generosity helps keep this podcast going. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. The opinions expressed by guests on Secrets and Spies do not necessarily represent those of the producers and sponsors of this podcast. I'm here with Kashif Hussein. It's it's great to have you. Welcome on. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me here. Sure. So uh, I've wanted to have you on for a while now. You know, the podcast is trying to move more into spy fiction, you know, the spy genre and spy adjacent genre. And you're a uh, prolific uh, reviewer for Best Thriller Books uh, blog. So I'm sure if listeners, I'm sure there's a lot of writers and listeners who are avid readers in the genre who probably know you and your work. Uh, but to anyone listening who, who isn't, uh, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got kind of attracted to this genre. Well, um, so I started off with, I've always been into thrillers, but it was more of like a, just a passing interest that I wanted to see and they just excited me. So I started off with a bit of Lee Child books just to get me in that and um, Jack Meacher books I used to really enjoy those but it wasn't really until I came across uh, American Assassin by Vince Flynn that really got me going into thrillers and that was the point where I realized I wanted my thrillers to be very smart I wanted to read something that not only educated me in terms of geopolitical instances around the world yeah and of course, a little bit of action and those mystery, intrigue uh, and mystique, they really help. So that was when I really found myself going into thrillers. And ever since then, I've been wanting to get my hands on 
any spice filler I could get. So around what what time was that that you kind of really got into this? Because you're you're pretty young. I think you're a bit younger than me. Um, yeah. So actually, I got into it in um, high school. I was actually um, doing my high school in Dubai, mm-hmm. and um, I just was in the bookstore. They have a really a great bookstore there, and I just went in one day and I saw this really captivating cover. It's an American assassin. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should just up pick it up, see what's about. So yeah, that was I'd say in 20, 2013 or maybe twenty twelve. Like, okay, so yeah. good good ten years you've been you've been doing this. Yes. Um. So when did you get hooked up with uh best thriller books? Um. Yeah, that's actually a really uh, fun um group. Mm-hmm. So it was during the uh, COVID time, and we I already known these guys a couple from my Twitter interactions. We post reviews, you know, have like the discussion on the threads going on, and then. It was during uh, the COVID time peak. Everyone was in lockdown, and we just decided, you know what? We have all this time. Everything is remote. We're just, um, uh, you know, we're re- reading all these books. Why don't we have like a consolidated effort and go from there and see what we could do? Because for us, it was about reading. We just really enjoyed coming together and you know discussing books, discussing thrillers. So um, with the team, especially James App. We, he really spearheaded uh-huh. the effort. So with him, we decided to, you know, come together and see what would happen. And that was best of our books. So do you guys split up generally like different different kinds of books in the genre? Do you each kind of prefer? Uh, yeah, I think that's really one of the things that makes best of our books so um, widespread is it, one of us would be, you know, we had our niche in the filler genre, of course. So someone would like go into spy thriller, someone's more inclined towards the crime spy i guess right. a bit of a murder mystery there so yeah that's where we've uh, diversified and then we consolidated that way okay great so how many how many reviews have you done by now do you think i've lost track to be honest but i'm pretty sure um you, do you mean in bestseller books specifically or like all I've been doing before then as well? Either or. We can go with best thrillers and then, you know, if you really want to look back, a retrospective, whichever you want to do. You know what? I'm keen to think at least it's going to be about 500 books or more by now. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's that's really what, I mean, why I kind of, I figured you have such a, I mean, I'm a, I'm a writer, so that's kind of where I look at the genre you look at it as a reader and a and a reviewer. So I really thought you must have this, you know, awesome perspective on the on the genre and kind of a institutional memory isn't the right word, but that you're able to at, at that point when you've canvassed the genres at that level, I think you're able to see certain kind of, you know, trends and patterns and stuff that is interested to me as a writer and I'm sure to other fans of the genre who are, are listening are probably interesting to them as well. So when you sit down to review a book, I guess, I mean, I'm curious to hear your process. I mean, A, like, how do you decide, okay, this is a book for me. This is one that I actually want to sit down and, and review because it takes a, takes a fair amount of time. With me. Um, and what do, you, what do you look for when you crack open a book that you're going to do a review? What, do you, what are you looking for? What are your tastes and stuff in that, as, in, in that regard? Um, for me, I tend to go for books now that have a bit of, authenticity to them it's not because a lot of times i've noticed books we get caught up in you know a very generic view of the world not more in terms of seeing how the situation is on ground but just from you know a five thousand feet up in the air view 
So with that, I used to, so I used to go into thrillers. I didn't have that perspective back then. I was just getting my hands on anything back then. But now it's more in terms of having books and reading books that really make you feel for the characters. And you feel that those characters could actually be someone who's actually going through something like that right now as we're reading it. And not something that's just, you know, you've painted a person out to be the most idealistic person. And, you know, you wake up out of the book and you realize, well, it's good, but yeah, I don't see that happening. So that's what I usually look for in a book, especially now. Right. So you're more into the um, the more grounded sort of portrayals of, of, of espionage? Exactly. I prefer my characters to be more, not in terms of knight in shining armor, but rather knights in a bit more, you know, very armor that they've seen the good, they've seen the bad. And they're not all good either, depending on who you may ask. But at the end of the day, they'll still do what they think is right to, uh, you know, go for their agendas. Yeah. So a big interest of mine is, and I've had Stephen England on here as a good friend of mine. I've had him on here twice now, and we've talked about this plenty offline too. Um, But a big sort of interest of mine is the ethics of writing in this genre that is something I try to pay attention to in in what I do. I mean, I, I look at it this way. So like, I think for most people that reading these books, right, is the most kind of concentrated, comprehensive look at the world of intelligence, geopolitics, foreign cultures, foreign countries that most people will ever sort of get. And so in that regard, I feel that Writers have a duty to, I mean, yes, there's a degree of fantasy and escapism in in all these books. When you open a book, you're you're doing it to have fun, right? But at the same point, I think there's an obligation that writers have to tell the truth and to portray the world exactly as it is. Because, I mean, if you, if you write all your books, and from what I hear you saying here, I think you're kind of interested in the same things. If you write a book where it's like one kind of superhuman action hero character who can just go solve this, you know, complex geopolitical issue in in 300 pages. I think people then to people then look back at these issues that they're facing in 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 the real world and think, you know, why can't we send I don't know a guy with a Glock and some Semtex to go like fix the cartels, you know? So that's why I think like show the world for as as complicated and as gray and messy as 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 it is. How do you how do you feel about that? I think you've nailed the point very well. That's exactly what I look for. For me, it's I'm actually really happy with the character because if uh, I've had a characters that I've been following along in the series for a long time, and I at the same time when it comes to having like a good pace of the story, I appreciate if the uh, the spotlight goes on a character and the character going through some even at times some fantastical odds. But what for me, what really makes or breaks a book is how the author approaches the issues that the characters face. Sometimes I've come across characters that even if they're just going around doing things that you wouldn't normally expect of yourself, there's still a certain degree of realism and a bit of fatalistic kind of point of view that makes you think, you know what, I feel bad for the person doing it, even though he's going through all these odds. You feel for the person that the person's not really enjoying per se, but feels it's more of the duty or something to just push past through. But a lot of times you read books and it's just a uh, thriller, just person's just going through the motions and it feels like it's the best thing to do. And that sometimes takes me out of it. I'm like, you're going through some 
really traumatic, some really gritty, dark stuff. And it really makes me intrigued when the book focuses on the toll it takes on the person's psyche, on the soul. And that's where I feel gritty spy thrillers really, really can, you know, take the take the price there. Yeah, that's a good, yeah. So in the 10 years or so that you've been really, you know, diving into this genre and reading, you know, everything out there, are there any kind of trends that, that, that you've noticed, the ways that it's it's changed over the years or anything along those lines? Actually, yes. Yeah. So when I first started, and I, even, I, even when I look back on the certain books that I read, and they're not very latest, but they'll come up about uh, 2000s or even a little back before, I noticed right. a great a great change in trend when I talk to some authors now, especially indie authors, and I get this vibe that they realize the audience, the readers, they want to read something that's both, you know, engrossing. It's both that it has that, you know, fast-paced vibe, but as you said, it also educates them. It gives them a perspective on how the world is. I think the trend has gone very well in the direction of exposing the truth for exactly how it is rather than concocting some a view of how we would want the world to be. I think we've a lot mm-hmm. from that because as you said, readers are getting the education on certain aspects and you know, intelligence, geopolitics from from these thrillers. And I think authors now have a greater appreciation of educating their you know, fan base while also giving them thrills. Yeah. So what do you think readers in the genre are most interested in? What what kind of books do they most want to see right now? I think now there's a really healthy, um, you know, bunch of people who are actually looking for books that it, it give them like you have the action sequences, you have something, you know, it's like a fast paced thing going on one chapter after another. But now, at least for me, when I've talked to readers, I felt the trend has gone a lot towards that, you know, sophisticated degree of realism that one person on his or her own won't be simply, you know, doing everything to, you know, fix a situation. There are layers yeah. that have to be incorporated. There are different characters that all have to come into play that really help. I think that's what I've noticed significantly in um, Stephen Lewis's thrillers as well, that he, it's not just as much as I, I like his protagonist, he's not doing the entire job. There's so many um, elements that are coming into play and then the story reaches the final point. So that's what I feel readers now are appreciating more than they did before. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I definitely see that too. I mean, it's like, I mean, yes, in real life, there isn't one person who just goes and, you know, fixes this whole, like, I mean, James Bond, not, James Bond's great. You know, <laughs> I love James Bond, but there's not like one super secret agent that goes and just, you know, handles this whole crisis. Um, and I think, I mean, from from a writer's perspective, having that larger kind of ensemble cast that's well placed at, I'd, let's say, different levels of the CIA or through different agencies. You know, people are in in intelligence, people in the military, people in sort of diplomatic circles, some just random, I don't know, people who who live in a certain country or a city where the action is taking place. I think you get a broader kind of survey and and you're able to just show more interesting things rather than following like your one like superhero through this entire journey. 
so what are what are some of your looking back? We're almost done with 2023. Looking back, what are some of your like top five best spy novels of the last year? Huh. Mm, that's a good question. It's a loaded question, actually. But don't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> nah. Um. Well, okay. Let's take it this way. So I've really appreciated. I don't know if you. I'm pretty sure you've heard of um Simon Conway. Yep. His books. So uh, he had his one, and the fun part is, I usually get his books every time if I'm going to Dubai because they have a. It, it takes time for it to come to US, mm-hmm. but I get to enjoy his books more when I'm there. Um, but his uh, like the latest he has a, he had a trilogy and I really enjoyed that. It came out with us. I think it was a, a stranger a saboteur, um, and those were the what I really appreciate in those kind of books. We also had Adam Hamdi with his uh, trilogy, and that's been like the white fire that came um, came out. That was very important. And Stephen England himself, uh, yeah. he actually came up with a really really fantastic book. And that's the thing. Uh, what I notice is that I really appreciate when the author isn't afraid of letting his books or his her books run a bit long in that because sometimes I can understand the apprehension that, you know, this it's a, such a large book, will the readers still be engorged in it? Right. But I think, you know, when you take it this way, when you have these many characters, you have an ensemble of characters, you want to do them justice. You want to do the story justice. So, yeah, that and on a bit of the other side, I do have my favorites um, with uh, Kyle Mills when he took over the Mitch Rapp saga. I really, I really enjoyed his books. Sad to see him go from there, but yep. Yeah. And uh, Mark Green, his Greyman books are always, as much as like, you know, there's one person going around and making the uh, world okay, same with Mitch Rapp, I still appreciate how they go about doing that. So, right. Those are the ones that I, that really jumped out. There's one book um, I actually came up with a debut, The Bitter Past. Um, I think that book, I'm really blanking out of the author's name right now, but The Bitter Past, that was a really enjoyable debut. And it didn't feel like a debut. That's the thing. It's a, it's a, spy, it's a spy thriller, and it combines both the, the aspects of murder mystery with the um, old school espionage that took place, you know, back in the atomic age. And... That's that's the kind of books that really you know just jump out. There's surprise reads that I expect them to be good, but when they stick in my head for a while, that's how I know they've really you know nailed the mark. It's just the bitter past by Bruce Borgos. Exactly, Bruce. Yeah. Okay. Then cool. Let's get that covered. So, what you said about a book that like sticks in your in your mind for a while? What what causes that? If you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been grappling with that question for a while, actually. Uh-huh. It's it's the characters, I believe, that, you know, stick the most in my head. I think that's, if I'll give you the best example I had recently with, um, when I read um, Pandora's Box by Stephen England. Yeah. It really stuck with me when he, you know, laid the groundwork for the characters. You, If every betrayal, every twist felt personal. And that's what I feel really works even in their past when I have the characters going through the way they explain the dilemmas the predicaments you can relate to them and I think that's what really sticks in my head is when I can think back and realize you know what I've really either either felt really amazed by the character or I felt bad for the character that's when I realized it really stuck in my head it's because stories um, as amazing they are, they can be they can you know be interchangeable in the head because we have so many spy 
fillers that are covering certain geopolitical areas, certain regions. And a couple of them, you know, they, they come together and you can feel like, okay, the plot lines are a bit similar here and there. But what really differentiates is the authenticity that the author you know, portrays in depicting the characters. So they don't feel something that's, you know, you've already read this person a billion times ago. Feels like a new creation. Yeah. And that really sticks in my head that way. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's definitely good. I'm reading uh, David McCloskey's Moscow X. Yeah. I'm in the middle of that right now and uh, I'm really um, enjoying it. And he's one that his characters are kind of really um, stand out. You've you've finished it, right? You have a review out on it. Yeah. I do. Yes. What did you think? Give us a little, give us a little spoiler free uh, teaser. So the, exactly. The good thing you picked that book because- that was one of the books where you really get into the characters. Every character they had from the station chief to the, you know, spies and that are, you know, in the heart of the operation, they weren't using their, you know, like, like that um, charisma that's there. Okay. They make everything okay. Or there's like this huge bunch of action that they're, you know, dodging bullets all the, all through the pages. Yeah. It's more about that anxiety that resides in you that you feel, okay, is this character gonna make it through or do I even trust this character I felt that I actually felt that for the protagonists of you know this book that I wasn't even sure if I could trust them properly that because that's what um you know when when the author you know puts those seeds of mistrust and a little bit of anticipation that okay things are what they seem so you start doubting what you've come across you don't take anything for granted that way yeah I think that's exactly what i really appreciated about uh, moscow tenant it was it just got me thinking and i really likened this book to um jason matthews uh, red sparrow series that's fair yeah it was even that book uh, those, those series what i really appreciated and what i drew a parallel between was the emphasis on espionage tradecraft it right. wasn't something that you actually could everything resided not only on some fancy gadgets but on the ability of the good guys and bad guys to sell what they're trying to, you know, what their agendas are. And that's what I also gleaned a lot from Moscow Tanif. It just felt like there wasn't, you couldn't really pinpoint one person within the roster and be like, you know what, this is the worst guy or this is the worst gal ever. They all had layers. Yeah. And that's what stuck with me in that. I think it's one thing that's that's really stand out with David um, and I guess this was true of, of Jason Matthews too, um, but I think David really does female characters really well, which isn't entirely common in this genre. I don't know if you have any uh, thoughts on that. Oh, I think that's uh, one of the major points I've discussed with a couple of my friends as well we were discussing. And I noticed that too before, especially, and actually that's a good um, way to have a trend there as well. That's why I've noticed in a recent trend as well, that before... It's just felt like something felt a bit off. Either the female characters had to be completely badass that they would just go around. They would be the most uh, badass shoot em up personality or they'd be the most submissive ones that needed a lot of saving throughout. I think that's one of the things I noticed in the first uh, when I read um, Ed Ludlum's Born Identity. A lot of the things I love, the, I love that series, especially even like the latest ones. But I noticed that trend in this first one and then Actually, the female characters were rather relegated to have um, more of a moral um, support for the main character. But as you said, David in Moscow 10 and uh, Jason Matthews, 
they really give layers to the female characters specifically that you feel, okay, there's more to it. It isn't something you've read before. They don't, and that's what you expect when you're reading someone stuck in the situation. You're not expecting some other character to come and save them. You're expecting them to do something ingenious, something creative. Right. And I think that's, you're absolutely right. It really stands out that way. Yeah. So I guess, you know, again, lingering on this discussion about trends uh, in the genre, um, I mean, I'm indie self-published author that kind of just have always kind of haven't really tried to do traditional publishing. I mean, I saw looking at active measures and what I had, I figured like, there's no way that, you know, I was going to have much luck doing this traditionally. So I figured I'll just do what I want. You know, mm-hmm. um, Stephen England is an indie uh, author too. How do you, do you see any kind of breakdowns between traditionally published and, and indie authors, any kind of things that, that one side does better than the other? Um, I think the way I've noticed is that is that they cater to different audiences. There's a different niche in the audiences group that they cater to. For indie, for indie, I've noticed that it's very different when you uh, when you talk about your book. I had I'm actually in the middle. I started, but then I got caught up with my work. But active measures, yeah, active measures. Oh, yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh. Oh, but yeah, so that's the thing. Even when I noticed, like, even like the first few pages, I just noticed one thing that, and it goes to indie authors as well, that you're not really, I was not to say to afraid, but you're not really that apprehensive about tackling certain, you know, topics that would really be uncomfortable. You're tackling matters from a different perspective. Because if you read a bit of the traditionally published books, you can sense they focus more on, you know, just getting the work done in terms of the character or there's like an agenda to it. And mm-hmm. you, they really are knight in shining armors, I would say. Nothing really bad about that, but... The characters of traditionally published novels. Exactly. The characters of traditionally published okay. novels. They have a bit of that knight in shining armor that you don't see them morally compromised as much. So, and I understand that, you know, sometimes when you're reading, you want to read someone that's, you know, completely idealistically the best character you want to read. Even when they're doing something bad, you'll still feel, okay, you know what? I support the guy. But in indie books, I've noticed this really good idea of morally compromising the protagonist that it's not that you're going to hate them, but you're going to feel a degree of hesitation when you're wondering, okay, they did this. I'm not really sure if it's the right thing they did or if they handled it the right way. I wouldn't say the right thing. Ultimately, that is the goal of protagonist to be a good uh, character. But if they did it the right way, you would have some qualms about it. I certainly do when it comes to indie indie books. And I actually appreciate them. And I talk to some of my uh, reader friends. They always say, you know what? We appreciate the books that you know, just tackle the straight route. But then we also really have this new urge to read more books that kind of put the protagonist in uncomfortable positions that you wouldn't go in a normally traditionally published route. Yeah. You said that there's some topics that you feel that would be tricky to tackle in a, in a traditionally published novel in the genre. Can you say anything specific about what, what kind of topics and maybe maybe why that would be tough to, to tackle? Um, yeah, so just as an example, there is one when we're uh, focusing on Middle East uh, region and yeah. we have this, um, at least for what I read before and I, now I'm coming to understand it a bit more, is it's a bit 
straightforward to you know give to like make all the good guys from a certain region and then just you know paint them all in a bad way without giving more of a reason as to what got them in there. What I feel indie authors uh, do a do a good job at is that they actually focus a little bit on the you know Middle Eastern side as well to show there are people there that you know they're going through the hard hard stuff. They haven't gone over to the dark side. They're still trying their best yeah. to make the you know make, to make something good out of it. And then when they pair up with someone from a different region, it becomes more of a partnership. It becomes something it's an exchange of ideas of culture, and you learn more that way rather than just you know having a, a typical bad guy image and be like, okay, this is the bad guy that did this, and that's it from that region. And then you have something else. Do you think? So this is this is interesting. So as you know, an avid reader in this genre, and you you mentioned this issue of the 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 portrayal of the Middle East as as a place where actual people live, you know, real flesh and blood human beings. Like it's not just Mordor, right. you know? And I feel I mean, the last twenty years of this genre since nine eleven, especially in the United States, I don't think this is entirely true of of writers coming out of the UK. But um, I mean, how do you how do you uh, you're you're from Dubai uh, originally? You know, how do you um, personally I mean, how do you relate to that stuff in the in the genre? I think it, it gives me a different perspective on the genre itself, because as much as I when I started off, it was I never really thought about it as such that, OK, you know, that we had good guys and bad guys and, you know, you know, really good. Uh, I'd say not a perfect world, but in the way that thrillers are portrayed, some of them, it's, you know, okay, there's a good guy, there's a bad guy, and they're divided through the regions. But then I noticed from my own experiences, like uh, living in Dubai, it's such a, you know, such a vast world of um, a melting pot, basically. You have people from all over the world, they're coming in and they're exchanging, you know, cultures, ideas. Yeah. And with that, I just, I know, I started thinking, you know what, there's something that's a bit uh, that I would have loved to see more in fitters. And that's something, you know, that shows this, the human side of what happens. And I think that's what gets a bit caught up because when you're trying to show, um, I don't know, like a Middle Eastern bad guy as, you know, the worst possible guy, you're going to, you know, you're going right. to show, okay, all the worst things that the Twitter they do. And in that, I feel sometimes, it becomes like a rather generic brush that's painted over the entire thing rather than a subdivision of those. And even the motivations, it's much better when you understand that, okay, these uh, folks are misguided and that's how they're portrayed. But, you know, either like sometimes it, it makes sense to paint some as inherently evil, some as, you know, but it's fun when there, uh, some of these characters, you can understand their plight and then yeah. you can empathize with both sides. So even when the good, so when, even when there's like a victory and you stop, and the good guys stop something bad from happening, there's a lingering tension that you feel like you know what? It's with the with the geopolitical crisis that we read. They stop one thing, something else could happen, and yeah. that's what I think. If that's what I would like to see more in Twitter's, and with the trend, I have been seeing that more especially in terms of indie authors. Good. So do you think that, I guess we could say, hesitance of 
traditional publishing in the genre to really sort of tackle issues in the Middle East with a degree of complexity and 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 nuance. Do you think that's because I guess publishers in this area are responding to what they think readers want, which is a, a not nuanced portrayal of the Middle East? Uh, I'm not sure, but possibly it, it, it's a good point to make because sometimes when you're picking up a book, it makes sense that a lot of these books you're reading them, you're reading them to, and what I understand it much better now is that you're reading to get out of, um, you know, your real life. You're trying to escape into it. And it makes sense for, right. there's like a long-standing uh, book series that are running now. It makes sense that they want to hold on to the fan base that they have now, which means they want to have books that, okay, there's a, it's a rather straight arrow. But then I think there's a, the, you know, emergence of such like readers who want a little bit of the taste as, you know, you and I have mentioned. That's something fairly new that I've noticed that I thought I was the only one at that point that I got to interact with some more people and I thought, okay, I got to meet more like-minded folks like that. So I think it's still a very nascent concept in the publishing world. Right. How do you feel about continuation series? I mean, Tom Clancy's been gone for a long time, unfortunately. Uh, Vince Flynn's been gone for a long time. Same with Robert Ludlum. And I mean, their characters are are very uh, popular still. But mm-hmm. how do you feel about, I don't know, these series going on and on and on and on and on with new writers? Huh. Um, actually, I think for most of them, I can't really think off the top of my head that I found a bit disappointing, but... As you mentioned, these ones, I have really appreciated because they didn't just open up the series for the characters. They opened up a way of thinking for the readers to get into. And I think it's really interesting when, you know, we have um, legacy authors who continue that work. Right. Because there's there's more to explore. They've created, it's not just they haven't created just stories. They've created entire worlds like Tom Clancy. There's so much the stories been running. We have Don Medley, Mark Cameron, they've lit. Taking up, we even had Mark Rainey at one point taking the stories forward. And it was really intriguing that they could take all of that, they could take such a vast world and continue the stories because there was there is more. It really feels, you know, when you relate to characters and stories like that, it feels like you're saying goodbye to an old friend. Right. And or like a lot of old friends in that way. But same with Vince Flynn. I when I started reading his books. It was after 2030, after he had passed away. So I was, uh, I was a bit, I read through all the books to the point I was worried, okay, what's going to happen? Then I realized Kyle Mills has taken out the mantle. So, and it is, the thing is, there's a lot of, uh, I can understand there's a lot of pressure on the new folks to, you know, get the right thing to, to, you know, make sure they connect with the readers that have been longstanding fans. Yeah. As well as open the floor to new readers like I was at the time. So, I think for me, it's something that's really special. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. Um, what are what do you what books are you most looking forward to in twenty twenty four in uh, next year? Um, well, off the top of my head, we have um, the continuation of the Mitra Saga by Don Bentley. I really want to see how he takes over with that. Um, I said I'm a huge uh, Gray Man fan, so we have uh-huh. people coming in and really. And I think uh, from what I read in the synopsis, they had it's tackling artificial intelligence. 
Um, and that's something I really want to explore more in the Twitters. I want to get to you about that next. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, off that, um, see, that's always a loaded question because if I start naming them out one by one, we're going to be here for like uh, two hours at least. Yeah. That's a bit, that's a bit long for a podcast. Um, Terry Hayes is coming back with a sequel to uh, Iron Pilgrim next year. See, is it, is it, a, is it in, my, in my mind? I'm like, okay, this is get shuffled there. But that one I am really excited about. Yeah. I was what a fantastic book. Yeah, yeah, really, really blew me away. I mean, that came out the same summer that uh, Part One of Active Measures did, and that was that was like everywhere. Um, yeah, I think it's really it's really cool when you see, I don't know, an author sort of come out of nowhere with a big original kind of debut. Like David McCloskey had that with Damascus Station. Um, I.S. Barry right. has that uh, right now with the Peacock and the Sparrow, which is on my list i haven't gotten to that yet to my shame i i need to um and then yeah terry hayes so let's let's go to the ai thing i mean so you you studied artificial intelligence in college so you actually unlike most people actually know what this is and know what you're talking about so you know with that with that background with that with the knowledge of how this stuff works and what the potentials are for it how do you how do you feel about the role of artificial intelligence in in novels in this genre? I guess I guess as a as a potential plot issue because it will be, and then the potential to be used to create these novels. How do you how do you feel about that? Oh, actually, that's a good question. Um, I think lately there's a lot. I think I mentioned even at the time when this kind of was like a twofold thing with artificial intelligence and technology. It was during the COVID time and I was really wondering and when everyone was, you know, dead set on masks, how will that be incorporated in thrillers? Yeah. It wasn't incorporated as much as I thought because when I talked to some folks and I got, got there just to, they were like, we want to escape the harsh realities. And I understand that. But I also felt that, you know, I just, I, can't, I, used, to, I used to think, okay, how is it going to be? Let's say if we have a, you know, CI operative or an operator. Is going through, you know, some really behind the enemy lines. He has a mask now. How is facial recognition going to catch that in the beginnings? I mean, that would be like a loophole in that, something to explore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but at least I've noticed that AI, they're a bit more accepting of, you know, where it's leading. They're even more speculative. Uh, there was a book, um, The Sandbox by Andrews and Wilson. Okay. So um, they're, yes, so they come from Navy background and uh, they've written this amazing book. So it's about, uh, we have a detective who's actually investigating uh, an AI bot that's you know has a murderous tendency going on, and with that, I think it's especially if you take it in consideration of espionage. Shooters. I don't know if you you watched the newest Mission Impossible that came out. I have, yeah. So I guess we can we can go into de- it's been out for months. If you haven't, if you're listening and you haven't seen it yet, I I don't know what to tell you. So go ahead and spoil it if you need to. I took the I took the first show, so I'm just saying. <laughs> but, I mean, not to go into too much spoilers, but I think it's out now. Everywhere that there, yeah. Tom Cruise in this movie is battling an AI entity, artificial intelligence. Yeah. So I think with that in mind, when they po- and even the movie when they portrayed it as such a menacing character, I think that was. What I, to me, the most accurate description of uh, in a portrayal of AI as of yet, because it's not something you're not really going into some, you know, Terminator style uh, frenzy, but it's just something the because right now the um, currency is information and data. 
and right. what's something that's being fed into AI every single second. So with that in mind, if we have something that for, we've usually seen in thrillers right now that, okay, they're being used by some, you know, Matt, like a like an evil person to, you know, who take over the world. There's AI algorithms, machine learning algorithms. So I'm really enjoying those. And I really appreciate that they're, they're not really putting it out into the science fiction, you know, genre as of now, because it can very easily become something like that. Yeah. But as long as it's being used as a tool and something even more menacing, if it's just something that, you know, takes, uh, becomes sentient. I really want to see that explored in a espionage thriller where you have a spy who has no idea that he or she is being manipulated by an entity. That's horrible thing about it. That's really, I mean, if you think like that kind of manipulation, that inability to know what's real, what's not, who you can trust, who you can't, that that you could get with it, with a rogue, you know, uh, malicious AI. I mean that. Those themes and that that stress, that insecurity, I think really speaks to kind of the the heart of the themes that you see in in the genre going back to Lacare in the sixties and stuff. You're right. Yeah. Um, you know, something that I I haven't attempted to to write mm-hmm. with an with an AI as a as a character, as a as a plot device, but something that I've thought about that would potentially be a struggle. I don't know. I get really kind of to my downfall sometimes i get really wrapped around the axle of how would this be in real life like if this were to actually happen in the world what would it be like what would happen and the question that i then ask myself with a sentient rogue ai the characters but also me and having to think up this story and and write it and decide what the ai would do in real life we'd be dealing with strains of logic you know that would be as understandable to us human beings as Shakespeare would be to a golden retriever, you know? <laughs> and so I have a really hard time wrapping my head around like, what, what do I even show? You know, what is it? Obviously my brain is human, so I can't think like a, you know, omnipotent evil AI. I, I, I don't know how you, if you have any thoughts on that, how to portray it most realistically. I mean, that's right now. I think that's one of the things we consider that, we try to paint AI as an omnipotent other entity right there. But we again, uh, what we need to consider is whatever we, whatever that's be, being fed into AI, it's coming from the human mind. It's coming from human um, thoughts and calculations. So when we notice... It's mimicking. Exactly, it's mimicking. So as, mu- as much as we can, we fear that, okay, this is going to happen and like what happens if it goes wrong, mm-hmm. we have to consider if it goes wrong, it's going to act... Very much like we would, because if given a situation, you've given all these calculations, maybe think about it like that way that, okay, you have a directive to, let's say, if you're taking an example, if you're, if you're um, holding um, the reins to a very large organization and you're giving the directive to protect it and you have all this data, you have all the calculations at your hand. You're going to be doing, and if you're not really worried about morals, you're going to be doing some really crazy things. You're going to be doing things at whatever the cost to, you know, and and we've seen that in terms of the bad guys we write in fillers that, okay, they go through some really dark lens to do it. So in a way, we're actually portraying if we don't put something, if we don't put the right safeguards on AI, it's going to be doing the exact same thing. 
So it does as much as it feels like a far-fetched idea. At the same time, it's it's I know uh, paradoxically very elegant and easy to think about it from the perspective that if you could do it, how would you do it? Right. So in that way, I think it's very important that at least for now, if we portray AI as like a southern rather you know completely um, you know bulletproof entity. It wouldn't be much in keeping with right now where the world is realistically going and where it is right now. But if it's being utilized and shown as a tool, and if let's say there's a ghost in the machine kind of idea, some a faulty code that snaps, that would be more realistic to show. And then you have a human um, bad actors, and then you have what they're using that doesn't have that's unhinged, that doesn't have any limits. And I think that in a spy thriller would be much more interesting to read. Mm. So good. I'll tuck that one away for the future, maybe. <laughs> um, so let's let's hone in on on AI being a tool, because ultimately, right now, that's that's what it is. It's a tool created by humans, used by humans. You know, will it be more in the future? I don't know, but that's what it is right now, right? So, how do you feel about AI as a tool to? write these books? Are they going to put us all out of business? Um, I Actually, I was surprised to find out. I think I read it on, um, I think, one of the social media platforms that a couple of them, a couple of authors were mentioning that they used AI in certain parts of the books to, you know, at least to give them an idea of what to do about it. And then I, there was like a huge discourse over it. But I think at the same time, it's a matter of creativity. I, I'll give you a very simple and a very silly example. So I was once planning, I was using um, the Google Bard or ChatGPT, one of those. And I was just sitting in my class at the time, getting bored. And I thought, you know, I'll ask um, the AI to write me a sequence from Top Gun, something similar to right. that. So one of the sequences it says was the during a, during a dogfight, Maverick opened his canopy. He pulled Goose from a from an upside down F fourteen, put him there before the F fourteen exploded, and then went its way. Wow! So, <laughs> I think you're safe right now. I think writers are safe when it comes to that because there's a degree of whatever you're coming up with. There's human inge- you know in ingenious minds that are coming together, and there's a certain creativity. But then I think right now it's the human mind that knows most before, like there's a line that crosses from creativity to what I just mentioned, just goofiness. Yeah. I think what you get then there is is the issue of taste, which AI yet anyway hasn't really been able to replicate. I mean, ultimately writers are arbiters of taste. There's a there's a filter there of of I don't know. It, it's hard for me to describe, but all these kinds of visions and and information lurking around in the back of your head as you're writing. And a writer's job, I think, as an arbiter of taste, is to know what to filter through and put on the page, and what is the best, most kind of artful, ingenuitive way to do that. That is accurate, but also kind of entertaining. And I don't think AI yet, like ChatGPT or Bard, kind of has that it it doesn't it doesn't understand things in the way that we do and it doesn't like to your point about you know that scene from top gun it doesn't know that's completely freaking ridiculous you know so we're not going to do that it's not it's not there yet yeah it's 
I mean, I, just to give you an idea, there was one, I think there's a pi.ai, a pi.ai. It's a, they have a personal artificial intelligence assistant for you. Uh-huh. So that unsettled me a bit because then I, if you go on to it and you start, it's like basically it's going to keep track of your personal day-to-day life. It's going to it's gonna be your diary, basically. And the way it talks to you, it's very eerily human. Yeah. It wants to know more about you. So there are ways where, you know, there's, they're programmed there. If now, if you've moved past um, GPT and um, Bar- like chat GPT and Bart, because as much as they're being used now, they, we have so many other AI things that we're using for typewriting. We're using them for personal assistance. But at the same time, it's still everything that it's being learning, it's learning from us. So I'm pretty sure this top gun uh, thing that it found, if someone probably wrote it as a joke on Reddit or something, it's scour- it's scouring through the it's scouring through the internet. It's thinking that it's fine, but it has a long way to go, and it requires human intervention, as you mentioned, to know whether it's something that you know it's creative or it's silly. Well, that's yeah, that's that's where the mimicry comes from. It trolls right. the internet, and to your point, if that scene was written, you know, by someone on on Reddit, it doesn't know. It doesn't have the context that a human would to know. Well, that's ridiculous. That's a that's like a satire of the series. I'm not going to write that in a serious kind of way, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean the the labeling is a huge thing. That's and that as I mentioned, that requires human intervention, right? So, any uh, what what kind of AI assistants out there that do you think are kind of if I mean, so I I would never use AI to write a scene. One, it wouldn't be good. Two, it wouldn't sound like me. Three, that's cheating. And I think you're just kind of you're expecting the worst of your readers if you think that that's going to fly and that's something that you want to put out there, you know? But I think there is some utility there as far as um, grammar, you know? I screw that up sometimes still. Or even if there's like, if there's a scene that I have that this isn't quite what I want to say, but I'm able to describe how it's not what I want to say, but I don't know the right way to say it, I'll pop that paragraph in and be like, I don't know, what what do you think of this? And it'll give me some options back and I choose whether to accept those options or not. So what do you think are some of the best, I don't know, AI-driven resources out there for a writer working that needs something along those lines? Actually, I'm not really familiar. I, I wanted this weekend to, um, I wanted to go over some of those things over this weekend. Sadly, uh, Saturday was a rather busy day for me, so I never got into it. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure there are a few as to what you mentioned, because there are AI right now, as you mentioned, you're using it as a tool. And that's how it's going to be. So I'm quite sure. I mean, right now, even before AI, we had um, Grammarly that, you know, you could pl- plug it in. But now we have AI for that as well. We have, uh, AI, you know, Grammarly with AI on its own. We have other things that are going into it, specifically not Grammarly, but other AI models that are doing the same. So, and right now, I think uh, even like for videos and deep fakes and audios, it's all, you know, AI models. So. There's so many uh, tools out there now for writers, and it's up to the writers themselves to know how to utilize them. So it, I don't think right now there's any shortage of tools, and pl- I'm pretty sure there are plenty of resources like that for authors to use, but just about how you use them. Yeah, well, that's good to know. Um, anything else you want to add, touch on, before we wrap for today? No, I think that... Uh, Pretty good conversation. I'm that just yeah, just letting you know. I'm excited to 
read more of active measures. Thank you. Well, I am I am excited for you to to read it um, as well. I know your yeah your knowledge of the genre. So what you what you see in the book based on you know um, your kind of unique situation that you have is very um, excited to 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 see that. Um, so, uh, Kashif, where can listeners find more about you and your work? Um, so I'm pretty active on social media platforms on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and part of Best Order Books that, um, is also there. So I usually um, tweet my re- reviews there. And uh, we have a Best Order Books website, bestorderbooks.com. And there you have a multitude of resources about the reviewers themselves, all the books, their bios and even the authors that we've worked with. And yeah, so you're guaranteed to get a lot of uh, books that way. Great. Thank you. So uh, we'll have all those notes, all those uh, links in the in the show notes. Kashif Hussain, uh, prolific reviewer in the spy genre at bestthrillerbooks.com. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this talking to you. Thanks for listening. This is Secrets and Spies. Thank you.